Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. So it is great to be back with you. Um, I was planning to be away last week, but just for different reasons than I, I actually <laughs> uh, wound up coming down ill, unfortunately, so I didn't get to go to men's retreat, but um, Kaylee did exactly as well as I, I knew she would. Um, this morning, we're going to be continuing our study on the, the book of Daniel and what it means to have courage in the midst of chaos. Today, as we study Daniel chapter 3, we find ourselves faced with a pretty popular Sunday school story. <laughs> I would say most people, even outside the church, are, are familiar with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the, the fiery furnace. Right? That's, that's something that, that we maybe have a, a clear understanding of what's going on. We're going to refer to them as Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and, and they are thrown into the fiery furnace because they chose not to do what the, the king in that time had commanded them to do. We're going to see this morning that these men risked their lives when they refused to worship the, the idol, the, the golden image that was put in front of them. And it, when it seemed like God had abandoned them in their suffering... He actually met them within it. This morning, before we, we read through the text, we need to go back first to, to look at chapter 2 and what Keely shared last week. Um, for those of you that weren't here, that in, in chapter 2 of Daniel, there's a specific dream that King Nebuchadnezzar has, and, and this dream is about a statue. And there's these different uh, components of the statue that represent different empires in that time and, and what's going to happen to them. And so there's this head of gold that represents Babylon, this chest of silver that represents the, the Medes and the Persians, this belly of bronze, which is Greece, the legs of iron is ancient Rome, the uh, feet of iron and clay is modern, uh, or I would say... Uh, revived uh, Roman Empire, um, and some even say that that could be looked at as present day, uh, you know, all the way up to today, and then we have this crushing rock that comes, and it destroys the, the statue, and that crushing rock is the kingdom of God, showing that all of these kingdoms are temporary, and what's important to take note of this morning is the head. The head is a head of gold, and that represents the, the Babylonian Empire, and so King Nebuchadnezzar is given the, the interpretation of this dream, and it's shared with him what this means, that you, you are, are present here in this time, in this kingdom. God has placed you there for a reason. But you're not going to, to last forever. There are going to be these other kingdoms that come. You and, and your kingdom will be temporary and the kingdom of God is going to, to outlast anything that we, we see on this earth. And, and what we see 
in chapter 3 is the king's response. We, we saw the king's response initially in chapter 2, but we see his actual response in, in chapter 3. So words that people say versus actions that people do are an important thing to, to keep in mind. And so in chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar goes out and decides to make a, I think they say 90 foot tall statue of gold. Huh. <laughs> I mean, statue to statue, one would think that, that there's probably some connection that exists between those two things. And, and if I'm putting my, myself into the, the thought processes of a, a dictator or a king, maybe it's like, well, I'll show you. I'm not just going to be a head of gold. I'm going to be the whole thing. And not only am I going to be the whole thing of some like little eight-foot statue, I'm going to be the whole thing of a 90-foot tall statue. Thank you very much. I'll show you how long I can last. The response to being placed in a position of power for a time, for a season, the response is, this is not enough. The fact of the matter is every single person on this earth is going to die at some point. That's just the way it works, people. <laughs> Sorry. If, if that's news to you, we need to have a talk afterwards. <laughs> um, the other fact of the matter is that very few people live for something that's of significance. The, the king is trying to prove that he's significant. He's trying to, to show up and, and demonstrate his significance through constructing this statue. But what we see here is three Hebrew men demonstrating God's significance through their actions. We're going to start with Daniel 3, 1 through 12. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. That's 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. And set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and other provincial officials, there's a lot of repeating like this, sorry, uh, <laughs> assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. And therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that the king had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever, your majesty, has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and pipe, and all their kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And whatever he does, and whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews 
whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. What does the world need right now? A 10 stories tall statue of me. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of, kind of silly, right? <laughs> I think the king has a little bit of a detention issue. You know, it's, it's those people that are driving those cars where, you know, you hear them coming before you, you see them and the base is like shaking the windows of the shops as they go by. They have an attention issue. The king was discontent with the reality of his reign being for a season. And so he attempted to enshrine himself among the the land and among the people. Just think about this for just a minute. I could have asked Oliver to to make us a, a statue out of Legos this morning. That, that modeled this, this 90-foot statue that, that King Nebuchadnezzar made. And if I, I brought this statue up this morning and said, okay, we're, we're going to worship this today instead of what we're, what we're normally used to doing, that'd be weird, right? Like, man, that's just a, a statue that your kid made out of Legos. What, what's so different about this statue? They didn't have Legos back then, so they had to get a little bit more creative. So they just used blocks of stone that they plated with gold. So an interesting thing about this statue, um, it's more than likely not 3D. It's not three-dimensional. More than likely, just because of how tall it is and how thin it is, it's probably a relief in a mountain. So there's probably like a a mountain that they've cut into, and we have the 90-foot-tall, 9-foot-wide statue that is now they don't have to worry about trying to support it. It's just there. And then they have it plated with gold because 90 feet tall, 10 feet wide, 9 feet wide, that's a lot of gold, like more gold than they would have. <laughs> and so they would hammer it super, super thin, put it on top of the, the stone, and then they would, that's how they would have typically constructed something like that. And so... I mean, it was just biblical Legos that the king put together and said, hey, we're, we're going to worship this today. And it doesn't say that it was an image of him. It's not like he necessarily made an image of himself. More than likely, it was one of their gods. Marduk is you know, a common uh, thought. But he just decided to put something together and decided to, to make this proclamation It's a good thing that we don't find things in our lives that just kind of pop up that are shiny, that we devote all of our time and thought and energy to. Things that we we devote all of our resources to other than God. It's a good thing we don't have anything like that that happens. It's a good thing that, that we aren't 
always focused on how we're going to be remembered here on this earth. It's a good thing. In verse 8, we see this group of men come forward who are jealous of the position that have been, has been given to the Hebrews as of chapter 2, and they denounce them. And so in uh, chapter 3, starting at verse 13, it says, Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Oh, you just watch. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. important point here and this is important for us to recognize as well these young men believe that maintaining devotion to god was more critical than guaranteeing receiving a guarantee of deliverance from danger they didn't know what was going to happen you know it's i wish we could come into this this morning having heard this for the first time that, that we were here today and we had no idea how the story was going to end. Because the fact of the matter is these three men didn't know. They had no idea what was going to happen when they chose to not bow down to this statue. And I mean, the, it very specifically says all the nations of the earth bowed before the statue. And yet these men stood. These men, in the midst of everyone else going with the command, said, no, this isn't what we're supposed to do. In the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of trial and hardship, they stood firm. The king gave a second chance. And yet still they stood. In 19 to 30, it says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent that the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. And then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they said, certainly, your majesty. And he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks to be like a son of the gods. And Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. 
And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. And they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. And then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. God miraculously saved. God miraculously rescued. And in doing that, in miraculously saving from the fire, his power becomes undeniable among the people. It's like, well, am I going to choose to worship that statue that the king just made out of Legos, or am I going to worship the God who just rescued these men out of a burning furnace? Option two, thanks. In terms of the furnace, it's kind of interesting that the gardens of Babylon are an ancient wonder of the world, and a lot of that has to do with the, the glazing, the glasswork that was done on these huge blocks of stone. And what they would do is they'd have these furnaces that were big enough to put entire blocks of stone that people would drag into being part of a wall. So, you know, two, three ton blocks of stone that they would color and then bake in these furnaces. And so typically these furnaces had an op- a spot where somebody, something could be dropped into and then they could be pulled out of. And so what would happen is in executions, people would just get pushed in because it's a little hard to push somebody into fire without them just coming back again. And so they would get dropped in and then you had a door that you could open to, to remove things. And so generally, that's the thought is that they were dropped into this furnace that was heated seven times hotter. And so when it opened, it blasted the, the guards that uh, were, were dropping them in. And then they opened the doors at the bottom and they were able to walk out. So even beyond that particular location and this particular structure that the king built, the human heart is determined to make a big deal about itself. (laughs) If we think about that statue that's being built, what is that statue doing? It's declaring the king's greatness. It's declaring the greatness of the people that built it. It's declaring the wealth of the area. We're so wealthy that we can put a gold statue on display. Declares the ability of the people. We have the ability to to do something this monumental. Can you think of another time in the Bible where people came together and they demonstrated their ability and they they demonstrated their worth and how how great they were to the point where they were ready to to build a structure to, to come to heaven? Yeah. Just talked about in Sunday school, actually. 
Now let's, let's stop for just a minute. Babel sounds pretty similar to, to something else, right? Babel is Babylon. It's the same place. Most scholars believe that where the Tower of Babel stood is where the, the kingdom and the empire of Babylon was during that season in today's modern-day Iraq. What is being declared in this construction, in both of these constructions that we, we look at here? I am sufficient. I am enough. I have everything I need. I can supply my own needs. God, we don't need you. That's, what, that's what's being declared in the construction of this statue. That's what's being declared in the construction of the Tower of Babel. I am enough. One of the, the most prevalent dangers for a believer in Christ is not replacing God. but reprioritizing him. Notice there is never anything that, that King Nebuchadnezzar said about you're, you're only allowed to worship this statue. He never said, hey, you need to get rid of you know, the, the worship and the celebrations that, that you do to, to worship your God. He just said, I want you to add this in and I want this to be first. As a follower of Christ, there is a constant tendency for me to run after anything that glitters or shines. Or to try to point to myself as being glittery and shiny. (laughs) But the Bible says that anybody who exalts himself will be humbled. And anybody who humbles himself will be exalted. There's an important point to catch there is either way, you're going to be humbled. So why don't we just choose to start that way? (laughs) The king never told them to stop worshiping their God. They were told to reprioritize. In Western Christianity, there's this this tendency or this false belief that once we sign up for the insurance program, problems get taken care of. Once we sign up for, for the, the team, we don't necessarily have any of those struggles anymore. There was a, a comment that's going to come up in our, our seven-minute Sunday where somebody made that, you know, once, once I, I took this particular step, this particular part of my life was, had to get fixed. But what we see here is that it doesn't work that way. We don't have to avoid fiery furnaces in in our lives. We don't have to avoid those situations if we realize and recognize and accept that we won't be abandoned when we are in them. It's like, yeah, but wouldn't it be better if we didn't have them in the first place? You bet. Do I wish that we could go throughout our life and not have the fiery furnaces that we all face? You bet. 
I think we can all agree that's not the way it works. I know people today that are going through those things, that are going through those hardships, but the fact of the matter is going through that hardship is not a, a knock against God, is not a testament to God's inability to rescue the, the fact that God is present in the midst of that is proof that he loves his children. When these three men get thrown into the, the furnace, they're physically accompanied by a comforter. And this is an interesting point that I hadn't really put a lot of thought into before getting ready for this morning. Could God have saved these men without sending somebody? but he sent someone anyway. Why? And, and some even say that he sent Jesus, that that was Jesus in, in the fire with them. Obviously, we're not, we're not gonna know. I'm, I'm not gonna get into that. <laughs> but let's just say it was. Why, why did he need to do that? I don't... I don't know that there was necessarily a reason for him to do that. For Would King Nebuchadnezzar have been just as amazed if there was three guys in the fire and, and those three guys walked out? Yeah. I mean, I guess there's something to be said for recognizing that there's this, this third party in the process and it's not necessarily just something innate to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, sure. So there's, there's some value there, but... but I gotta say, the, the pastor in me really wants it to be that, that God sent the, that person to be in the furnace to, for those three guys. That, that Jesus came into that moment. Not for anything else, but to be with them. Can you imagine how terrifying... He wasn't with them when they got pushed in. He wasn't with them the night before as they're, they're contemplating what it means to be burned alive. He wasn't physically there that we know of. He's with them when they fall into the furnace. He's there. Why send someone to physically be present? Because God is true to his name. He's Emmanuel, God with us. And in days like this, there lies our hope. There is a fourth man in the fire with you. There is a fourth man in the fire with you in the struggle that you are facing and his name is Jesus. Does your world seem to be spinning out of control? Do you know what it feels like to be living in the midst of meltdown? Yeah. Then hear the good news that God himself will meet you there for a connection. He will meet you there for intimacy, for communion that will empower you not just to survive but to overcome. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't just survive the fiery furnace. They came out, they overcame, and they were promoted. God said, I I will meet you in the midst of this, and I have a plan for you. Remember what it said in Jeremiah 29, 11, and and the, the verses before? Seek the benefit of the land in which you live. Get comfortable because this is going to be a long journey, but I know the plan that I have for you. And it's going to involve hard things. The plan that I have for you involves a fiery furnace. The plan that I have for you involves interpreting dreams that you have no idea what they are in the midst of certain death. The plans that I have for you involve you getting thrown into a lion's den and coming out the other side. I know the plans that I have for you. Plans for hope and a future. In the the shaking of our foundations in the midst of, of meltdown, that reveals the the terrible circumstances in which we live. We have a fourth man in the fire with us, a fourth man who has shed his blood for us. Jesus Christ comes and he, he brings grace, he brings peace, he brings hope. He brings restoration and, and whosoever will may come. Like that song we sang this morning, he's our rescuer. Do you need a rescuer this morning? Is there an area of your life this morning where you say, Matt, I don't know how this is gonna work. I don't know what's gonna happen here. I don't, I don't know what God has planned for me in this time, in this season, in this circumstance. I'm not gonna be able to show up into that and say, well, well here it is, dummy. No, <laughs> but what I can say is, I know the plans that God has for you. And that in the midst of that, you are not alone. Maybe, maybe the, the friends that you have will fall away, like Job. Maybe, maybe your, your family will fall away. But there is one who is with you in the midst of that circumstance that will never leave you or forsake you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come this morning and we recognize our need. our need, our reliance on a rescuer. God, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are, are, are shown in this furnace, making a choice to stand. God, we, we choose to stand. We, we put on the, the armor that you have called us to put on and, and after having done all of those things to stand, God, we stand. 
God, we have courage in the midst of, of the chaos of this world. Lord, there is an entire world that is completely lost, that is completely without you. God, we, we stand in the midst of that world, but it is not our home. God, as we go from this place, as we go back into our workplaces, as we go back into our homes and our familiar surroundings, Lord, help us to, to recognize that you are there with us in the midst of the fiery furnace. God, in the midst of the struggle and the hardship that we face, there is a fourth man in the fire. And he is our rescuer. God, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 